So I'm just going to, um, I know Barb already prayed, but I'm going to pray for me right now. So, Father, I just come before you in a position of surrender right now. May this be all you, God, all you. Your word, your power, your truth, your love, your compassion. And as I share this word that you've given me to share, I just say, have your way with it, God. Just like you had your way with the prayer that, that Anna's husband prayed, may you, ha- you have your way here today. Meet every one of us right where we're at. I pray that hearts are ready to receive. I come against distractions right now. I come against the spirit of pain. I tell you to go in the mighty name of Jesus. I come against anxiety and fear. I tell you to go right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I plead the blood over this place. Jesus, just as you had the Israelites paint the doorposts with the blood of the Lamb, right now, I plead the blood over every one of us, over our minds, over our hearts, over the doorways of this church, over this room, that nothing will distract us or come in the way of us receiving what you have for us tonight. I thank you, God, for the authority that you've given us as believers. I thank you. Your will be done here in this place on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven come. Heaven come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. The message I have to share tonight is actually the third part. If you want to pass those out, Mary Lou. This is the third part of a, of a, a message that I've been sharing over the last few times that I've had the, the um, honor of teaching. And it's about the kingdom of God that resides in us. Let me just go ahead and, and read the, the, um, the foundational scriptures, and then I will do a little explaining about the kingdom of God that's in us. The first scripture is going to be on the screen while you're waiting for your handout to come. It's Luke 17, verses uh, 20 through 21. Now when he, Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and he said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So they were asking the same questions In Jesus' day, that we're hearing today, we're hearing so many questions about the when and the what's happening in our world and the what's happening in our nation and the confusion and looking for signs and looking for dates and looking for times when Jesus is going to come or when the kingdom of God is going to come. They were doing the same thing when Jesus was alive. And what did Jesus say? He said, stop it. Stop looking for signs. Stop looking for for using your eyes or observation. You don't need to look any further because the kingdom of God is in you. They were looking for a natural king. They were looking for somebody to come and take over because Rome had 
had uh, was being oppressive over the nation of Israel. And they were looking for rescue. They were looking for a rescuer. They didn't realize what an amazing rescuer Jesus was. But it wasn't what they were expecting. Jesus said, don't look for that. Look inside of you because that's where the kingdom of God resides. So that kingdom of God is not on the outside, but it's on the inside. The kingdom of God is the royal power and authority of King Jesus over the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus came, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And so are we. Jesus was anointed. He had the authority and he had the power. And he completely destroyed the power of the enemy once and for all. As Barb read in the scripture that she started with, he destroyed it. When he went to the cross, he destroyed the works of the enemy. When he died, when he, he, he destroyed sin and destroyed the barrier, that was the enemy's power, was the power of sin. But now as born-again believers, there is no power of sin on us. We are no longer under the dominion and the control of the enemy. But the problem we have in the world isn't that we don't have power and authority. We do. The problem is a lack of knowledge. The problem also is that although the enemy has been um, defeated, he hasn't been destroyed because he's still here. We can see it, especially today, this day. But he's been defeated. Our part is to come into commission with Jesus. Jesus' mission, the next scripture up here. Jesus' mission is this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And now we come into mission with him. But the only way we can do that is with the authority and power that we carry as believers. That's the kingdom of God that resides in us. And then the next scripture that's the foundational scripture before I go into the the teaching on joy. This is Romans 4, verses 16 through 18. And it's also about the kingdom of God. And it says, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Whoa, we see that in the world today. Good being spoken of as evil and evil being spoken of as good. We see that. It's running rampant. That's one of the things I pray with my prayer partner every day, that evil would be exposed as evil and good would be seen as good. But sometimes they're mixed up. And, and the scripture says, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's what it isn't. It doesn't have to do with what you put in from the outside in. Instead, it has to do with what's in there. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, born-again believers have that same amazing gift of the Holy Spirit residing in us. And these are some of the components that give us the power over the enemy, the authority over the enemy. Our righteousness, our peace, and our joy. Now here's some really good news. 
we have the full measure of each one of those. We don't have a little bitty speck of righteousness. We're completely righteous. I taught on that a few weeks ago. We are completely righteous. It is our state of being. It has nothing to do with our behavior, whether it's a really, really good behavior or whether it's really, really bad. Righteousness has to do with what Jesus did, not with what we do. And that's good news. We are righteous. But if we don't know we're righteous, we can stand in a place of condemnation. We can stand in a place of unworthiness and not receive. There's a scripture in Galatians that says, if, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, so I'm not going to do it perfectly. But the par- my paraphrase is, if we live by the letter of the law and try to check off all the boxes and do everything perfectly, instead of receiving the grace that Jesus paid for, then Jesus died in vain. So I taught on that a couple weeks ago. The importance of knowing who you are, knowing your identity, knowing that you're worthy to be healed. Jesus paid a great big price, and he wants us to live in the full benefits of our inheritance. We are all worthy. If we have received Jesus, if we have accepted his sacrifice and received Jesus, We have been completely made righteous. That's good news. And when we know that, it enables us to stand in that place of releasing the kingdom wherever we go. The second component is peace. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Peace. And I'm not going to reteach it. But there was one scripture that I love about Jesus in the storm, in the boat, when the um, disciples woke him up and said, Jesus, aren't you, aren't you um, going to do anything? We're perishing. And Jesus simply said, peace, be still. And the storm was calmed. So when Jesus released peace, he overcame the storm. Peace didn't just help them to get through the storm. This is for somebody right now. Peace Enable them to overcome the storm. Peace is very powerful. Jesus is the prince of peace. The prince of shalom. Shalom is nothing missing, nothing broken. Shalom is completeness, wholeness, healing, health, safety, welfare. Jesus is the prince of peace, the leader, the overseer, the ruler And he bequeathed us peace. It's part of his will. And we're the recipients. Today we're going to talk about the third component that this scripture talks about. The kingdom of God that is in us is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I want to expose a lie right now, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the time telling you the truth, according to God, according to his word. The lie is that we don't have control over our emotions. The lie is that emotions like joy and depression 
peace and anxiety, all of those things. The lie is that those are part of our human nature and we can't do anything about that. That's a lie. Now that might be true for the non-born again person who's under the control and the dominion of darkness. But if you're saved, you've been transferred out of that darkness and you're now in the light. And we do have something to say about it because we're above the natural. We're supernatural beings. We have the joy of the Lord in us. Now you might not feel like it. It might not be evident in your, in your emotions or in your head. But the truth is that you do have the joy of the Lord, and it's the full measure of joy. So here's the definition of that word, joy. God, joy. Joy is a choice. It's not something that's conditional upon circumstances. So you don't have to have everything perfect to walk in joy. Happiness might be that way, but not joy. Joy is a strength that enables you to walk through those circumstances with strength, with um, steadfastness, being unmovable, no matter what you're walking through. And as I share some components of joy and what it means in the biblical sense, I believe that we are going to step into that joy and see it. I, I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I'm going to share some of those stories tonight. So the first thing I want to share, um, if you have your Bibles, open them to Nehemiah. And I put my ribbon there. <laughs> but you're going to have to find it in your Bible. Nehemiah. Because the first thing I want to talk about is that this, this joy that resides in you, I'm just going to declare it right now. Just lift up your hands like this. I am going to speak it over you. The joy of the Lord is in you, Diane. The joy of the Lord is in you. It's in me. The joy of the Lord, I just say, God, just rain it down so that they recognize it. I know it's in there. But God, help them to recognize the joy that's in there. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is in there. It's the full measure of your joy, God. I pray that it stirs right now in their inner man and their inner woman. That it stirs and it starts to, to um, connect to the spiritual realm that's already done. The spiritual realm of strength. The spiritual realm of, of fullness and completeness. And that there is a connection between the soul and the spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. So the scriptures from the book of Nehemiah. And in this, um, in this book... Um, the people are coming back from exile, from Babylon. And <clears throat> um, Nehemiah is a governor who's sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the temple walls. They had already tried to start building the temple, but they were stopped with a lot of um, people that were against them. And then this was a few years later, and they started again. And um, there was the Holy Spirit anointed it. And they were able to build the whole wall all the way around the city in 40 days. After they built the wall, Nehemiah um, connected with the high priest, who was Ezra, and said, okay, the wall's built. 
let's all come together, let's gather all the people together and read the word to them. Now remember, these people had been out of uh, their pla- out of their temple and out of Jerusalem and in exile for 70 years. We're pretty much all of us younger than 70. Almost all of us, right? Our whole life. It would be like our whole life never hearing the word. When they heard the word, that's where I'm going to pick up. When they heard the word for the first time, they were cut to the heart. They were feeling condemnation. They were afraid because they hadn't been living the word. They didn't know the word. They hadn't been living the word. And they they were grieved. They were depressed. But Nehemiah and Ezra said, stop it. Don't be depressed. Because there's good news. You have the word in you now. You know the word now. You have the good news. It doesn't matter what you didn't know. What matters is what you do know now. So I'm going to pick up right now in verse 8. So they read from the book of the law of God distinctly. Faithfully amplifying and giving the sense so that the, the people understood the reading. So the priests and the Levites were reading the, the word and then they were explaining it. So the people could understand it clearly. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then Ezra told them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet drink, and send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And be not grieved and depressed. For the joy of the Lord is your strength and your stronghold. So the Levites um, quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy, and do not be grieved and sad. And all the people went their way to eat, drink, send portions, and make great rejoicing. For they had understood the words that were declared to them. So although at first they were grieved and depressed and wept and cried, Nehemiah and Ezra said, no, this is a good day. Instead, let's celebrate. And so that's what they did. They celebrated, and they had great rejoicing. Now, the line that I really want to focus on is the line that says, The joy of the Lord is your strength and your stronghold. I'm going to do a little math right now. I was an elementary teacher. And this is elementary math. So when you do a math equation, there's an equal sign. And on both sides of the equal sign, they have to balance. They're equivalent or balanced. Whenever you're doing math, if you have the word is, you can put the the sign equal in there. So 2 plus 4, 2 plus 2 is 4. You can put the equal sign in there. You can always do that when you do math. And then if you change something on one side of the equation, you have to do the same thing on the other side to make it still balance or still be equivalent. So 2 plus 2 is 4, but 2 plus 2 plus 2 is equal to 4 plus 2. You have to do the same thing on both sides of the equation. 
So, God gave me this a few years ago when I was studying the scripture. So, and this is on your paper. According to this, the joy of the Lord, joy, is or equals strength. Right? Joy equals strength. Well, if that's true, then great joy equals great strength. Little joy equals little strength. And no joy equals no strength. Joy is strength. We need to activate what's in there. I'm going to share one more scripture, amazing scripture, that talks about joy and strength. And then we're going to look at how to activate the joy that's already in there to build you up and to help you to be strong and to walk in victory. So the next scripture I want to read is from Habakkuk. I picked hard books to find tonight. Habakkuk chapter 3. If you go to Matthew and go backwards, it's not too far back. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not blossom and there's no fruit on the vines, though the product of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls, I'm going to hesitate for a second. That's all bad news. That's all um, their life support systems not working. This was written when the grapevine and the field and the flocks and the cattle were life support, life sustaining. They needed those things for life. So put your own situation before that comma. Though you have a negative doctor report, though you have symptoms in your body, pain or sickness, though you have whatever that might be, though you have anxiety or depression, though you have relationship issues or financial issues, whatever is in front of that comma, yet, verse 18, yet I will... That means I choose. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the victorious God of my salvation. God's the victorious one. And now listen to the next verse. The Lord God is my strength. My personal bravery and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk. Not stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. Wow. So, no matter what's going on, when we make the choice to rejoice, when we make the choice to exalt God, who is the victorious one, He's our strength. And then it goes on and it says, he's our army. He's our invincible army. He's our bravery. He's the one that makes our feet like hinds feet. Now, let me explain that because this one I, oh, this is really good. 
A hind is another name for a deer. And when deer walk or run, their forefeet, they can see where they're positioning on them, so they're very sure-footed. They can see where they're putting their front feet. But they can't see where their hind feet are going. But the way that their, their bodies, God created them, is their hind feet walk exactly in the prints of their forefeet. So if their forefeet are sure-footed, then their hind feet will follow. Steady, sure-footed, perfect, safe, and sound. And this scripture says that we will walk. I wish it said we had run, but it doesn't. It says we will walk and we will make spiritual progress upon high places. We're not going to stand still in terror. With joy, we're not going to stand still in terror. But we're going to walk and we're going to make spiritual progress, even in the midst of trouble or suffering or responsibility. The key is the rejoicing. I will rejoice. It's a choice. So let's look at activating the fruit of joy. It's in there. That's the first thing you need to simply believe, whether you feel it or not, that you have the fruit of joy. You have the full measure. So how do we get it from in here to completely part of our soul, our mindset, our our heart, so that we can draw from the spiritual realm into the natural realm and have that strength that we need, have the victory that God says he is, have the army and the bravery. So first of all, the fruit of joy is cultivated in his presence. That joy that's in there is cultivated or activated in his presence. So we need to be in his presence. In Psalm 30, or 1611, the scripture says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm going to share with you a little bit of brain research that just, oh, God is so cool. There is a part of our brain called the joy center. Now, that's not the scientific name, but there is a piece of your brain, a part of your brain, where joy is activated. Little kids, when they're born, first they're infants, and then they're young babies and toddlers, and then they grow up. The way that they learn, the way that they... um, the way that their capacity for joy is established is eye-to-eye contact with loving adults. It is the countenance of the mother and the father and the grandma that, that looks into their little eyes. You've seen mamas. They hold their baby just like this right in front of them. And they talk. And their voice has that tenderness and that affection. And it's eye to eye. That's what develops the joy center in the brain. And if children don't have that, the joy center in the brain is not established. And we've all seen children who haven't had that. My uh, example, because... I love being a grandma. You guys know that. But when I visit, we 
one of our vacations this fall was to visit our grandchildren. And actually, they came here once, too. So whether we go there or they come here, we always fly because it's on the other side of the country. And when we get to the airport, either we pick them up or they pick us up. I always have Kent drop me off. I can't wait. So I go into the baggage area so I can meet them or vice versa. They come and meet me. And they're with their mom and dad holding hands to keep them safe and everything in the crowds. But as soon as they see me, as soon as they hear my voice, one or the other, they let go of their mommy's and daddy's hand, and they run as fast as they can, and they jump into my arms, and they hug me with everything they have, and I hug them right back. Now, I have been developing that love relationship with my little ones since they were tiny, tiny, and I only get to see them occasionally, but we Facebook or we FaceTime all the time, and the awesome thing with FaceTime is it allows us to be eye-to-eye. When they call me and it says FaceTime call from Chad Cox or Kay Cox and I answer it, I know that the first thing I'm going to see are those little faces looking back at me on the phone. And the first thing they're going to see is my face looking at them. So how does this apply to you and the joy of the Lord in there? This is one of those things that just takes my breath away whenever I share it. As we seek the Father, as we come into communion with him through worship or through prayer or through him talking to us through his love letter, the Bible, and we're face-to-face with him, the same thing happens. That joy is cultivated as we're face-to-face with our Father. We are literally the sparkle in his eye. He loves us so much. He is so excited to see us. He loves to FaceTime with us, just like I love to FaceTime with my grandkids. And joy is cultivated as we come into that place of communion or relationship with him. And as we do, it it grows us up in that strength, the army, the bravery, the, the, uh, everything that we need to walk steadfast and immovable through the circumstances of life. Joy is the expected result of communing with your father. So if you want joy, rejoice. The Bible tells us to rejoice. In Philippians 4, very familiar scripture, this book of Philippians was written while Paul was in prison. He was in prison for, I think, five years or so when he wrote the book of Philippians, and it's called the book of joy. There's only one way he could have joy being in prison for five years. And that is the joy of the Lord that was in him. That is the expected result of eye-to-eye contact, face-to-face contact with his father. And he wrote about joy, I think it's like 17 times in the book of Philippians. So this is one of them. Verse 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. Always be full 
of joy in the Lord. Again, I say it, rejoice. Lord, I say it again, rejoice. I know when I was reading that today, I was thinking, well, it's, he doesn't say the same thing again. The first time he says, be full of joy in the Lord. And the second time he says, rejoice. It's because that's how we get full of joy, is by choosing to rejoice, choosing to praise. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As we rejoice, as we come to God and let go of anxieties and say, Nope, I'm not going to do it. I refuse to worry. I refuse. I refuse it. I will not do it. I will put my eyes on Jesus. Peace. Joy. Rises up in us. We witness this all the time in our ministry. We witness this supernatural joy and peace as people hear truth and and know, know, intimately know the loving God, their loving Father, and how much he cares. Something changes. Something changes in countenance. Something changes in... in um, in, in everything about them, they just rise up and they, they become new. Hebrews thirteen fifteen, very familiar scripture about praising. It says, through him, therefore, through Jesus, let us constantly and at all times offer to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. So this talks about praise being a sacrifice. That's because it costs something. Usually when we are in the middle of a battle, we don't feel like praising. But it's not an act of your will. It's not an act of emotions. It's an act of your will. You can choose to praise even when you don't feel like praising. And that's why it's called a sacrifice. And then the scripture literally tells us what it is. It's our lips. It's the fruit of our lips. It means we have to open our mouth. It is a vocal expression where we give thanksgiving, where we acknowledge God and his bigness and his, what his promises are, what he's done for us in the past. We can look and say, God, you did this, and you did this, and you did this, and I praise you for it. It's the sacrifice of praise. I believe that that's the kind of sacrifice that just pleases God so much. There's a sweet aroma in our praise. There's a sweet aroma as we worship and praise God. I'm going to share a testimony before... I wrap this up. Um, I'm turning in my Bible to Psalm 27. I want to give you an example of something that God did in me a few years back. This was in 2010. Um, I was 
uh, originally healed of cancer in 2002. So it was eight years later. And uh, I went in for my regular GYN appointment, and I had a uh, lump in my neck. I didn't know it was there. They found this lump in my neck. And over a period of time, I went through all the typical tests. So I went through ultrasound and biopsy and uh, blood work and all sorts of tests. And they were um, ruling things out and making sure, or they were, they were looking for cancer, basically, because I had had melanoma through my whole lymphatic system. Um, I ended up having a thyroidectomy. So I had my thyroid removed. In the midst, before all of that happened, or as I was preparing for that, I was making a choice to rejoice. I was making a choice to have God's word as the final word. And I remember just holding my Bible like this and saying, God, I thank you. I have your final word. I thank you. I have your word. I trust you and your word. And just declaring his word. I remember speaking, and I speak this over a lot of people today. Say, Jesus, I thank you that by your stripes I was healed. And I thank you that by your stripes I am healed. And I thank you that by your stripes I will always be healed. I had that thyroidectomy, and I got a good report that lined up with God's report. There was no cancer in my body. I did have an issue with my thyroid, and my thyroid is gone. I have no thyroid. doesn't matter because I live very, very strong and very, very healthy with a little pink pill every day, and I'm fine, and I'm great. But then after I had my thyroid removed, the devil tried to steal my voice. My vocal cords were paralyzed. And the thing that I love to do the most, which is to share with all my heart and passion about the goodness of God, I wasn't able to do. Now, I still taught, but my, my, I couldn't reflect the passion that was in my heart. It wouldn't come out of my voice because I only had like one um, uh, um, level a voice. I had no highs in my voice. It was just very, just one level. And I couldn't sing at all. I couldn't sing. I couldn't praise God with my voice at all. I was reading Psalm 27, and God gave me a word. He spoke right to my heart. This is verse 6. I was reading, and I read this, and it just rose up off the page and settled in my heart. Verse 6 says, And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. In his tent I will offer sacrifices and shouting of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And the date I have written in my Bible is July 12, 2010. That's when he spoke that to me. And I took that word and I said, God, that's my word. The enemy is trying to steal my voice. But I will, I choose, I will offer you sacrifices of praise. I will offer you shouts of joy. I will sing. And I wasn't speaking it as someday I will sing or someday I will shout. It was like, no, I'm choosing right now to do it. I'm choosing right now. So I would go into, I took that literally. I took that scripture into my bedroom I closed the door so nobody could hear me. I turned the music on really loud so I couldn't even hear me. And I proceeded to shout 
to the Lord and sing to the Lord, even though I couldn't shout and I couldn't sing. Something came out, but it sounded awful. I have something else written in my Bible. Complete restoration of my voice to teach and preach and sing praises unto God. Completed February of 2011. My voice was completely restored. It was almost immediate. I was without a voice, and then it just came back. But I had been declaring this word, singing with all I could sing, even though I couldn't sing, shouting to the Lord with the bedroom door shut and the music on loud. I'd been doing that for months. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our victory. So the last thing I want to talk about is another really powerful truth. And that is that joy and faith are directly connected. As you activate that joy, your faith will be strengthened. The praise, the rejoicing that we've been talking about is like a thermometer. We can use it, we can use this thermometer to take our spiritual temperature and to find out where we are in believing God. If there is no praise, or if your praise is limited, then our faith is limited. I just read this this week. I'm reading a book called The Effects of Praise. It's by Andrew Womack. And this is, this, I read this this week. I don't think it's a coincidence that he gave it to me this week. Let me start again. Praise is like a thermometer. And we can use it to take our spiritual temperature and to find out where we are in believing God. If there's no praise or if praise is limited, then our faith is limited. But here's the opposite. When we get to a place where we are praising God as if it was already done, it's just a matter of time until we see that thing we desire. Praise is a super important part of faith. I didn't know all that, but God gave me that rhema word, and I chose to go and praise. And let me tell you, when I was in my bedroom with that music cranking and me just singing and praising with all my heart, that's where my heart was. It wasn't on my voice. It was on him. And I was at that point where I was um, praising as if I already had the answer before I had the answer. And then the answer came. Praise and faith, joy and faith, rejoicing and faith are very closely connected. Romans fifteen thirteen, May the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and be overflowing, bubbling over with hope. That word hope is confident and joyous expectation. Hope is joy. Hope is this joyous expectation in what you haven't yet seen. Faith is believing what you haven't yet seen. And hope is that expectation. This prayer is praying that that hope that's connected to your faith, that's connected to joy, is abounding, multiplying, growing, 
like the multiplication of the fish and loaves in you, in you, in there, that that joy is multiplying and abounding. So I'm just going to speak that over you right now. I pray that the God of your hope so fills you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound and you may be overflowing and bubbling over with hope, with confident and joyous expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Say, I receive that. Amen. So I'm going to close with this scripture. And this is another one that every time I read it, I just am in awe. In awe. It's Hebrews 12, 2. And it says, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith. Jesus, who gives the first incentive for our belief. And Jesus, who is also our faith's finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. Jesus, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame. And he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this scripture, the first part, tells us to look away. When we're choosing joy, when we're choosing to rejoice, when we're choosing to praise God with his promises, with his word, with what for what he's done and for who he is, when we choose, we're looking beyond all that will distract. That praise is a thermometer for our faith. When we do that, Jesus can do his part. He's the author of our faith. He's the one that brings it to maturity. And then that second part, this is the part that just, just I, I am just in awe of. Because it says that for the joy of obtaining the prize, he endured the cross. It doesn't say that he enjoyed the cross. He didn't. He was fully man and he suffered. He was ridiculed. He was despised. He was ignored. And we know the rest. He was flogged. He was crowned with thorns. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was crucified. But he did it with joy in obtaining the prize. The joy of the Lord was his strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we can put ourselves in that scripture. And we can say, for the joy of obtaining the prize that's set before me, I'm enduring whatever this is that I'm going through. Because I know the end of the story. I have steadfast, immovable endurance, consistent believing in my Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. Because I 
have the prize. The prize that's set before me. My redemption. Paid for by the blood of Jesus. And I choose to stand in joy. Because I have the promise. I have this amazing father who did it all. This amazing Jesus who did it all. And that's where I'm going to put my eyes. For the joy of obtaining the prize. Jesus endured a whole lot for us. And that joy's in me. And that joy's in you. It's strength. It's power. And it'll carry you through. What you'll experience... What you will experience is something rising up in you that doesn't make sense. I, how can you possibly feel joy in the middle of the, the worst trial of your life? But you, you can. Because it's all him. And it's really good. So, this is a, on your paper. There's just a little reflection. What has stolen your joy? Whatever it is, it's not of God. What is of God is the joy of the Lord. And it's your strength. That fruit resides in you. It's part of the kingdom of God that resides within you. That's truth. And it's empowering you to enforce your dominion over the works of darkness in your life. That's truth. That's what we need to keep in front of us. And believe God. To use it, to activate it, to use it, to build you up and carry you through 